Amen. Amen. Thank you for your continued giving. Without further ado, Pastor Tony Lagaris, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your gift with us. We honor you tonight. Well, thank you for letting me. It's my favorite thing to do. You really don't want this? No, I'm good. Thanks. Um, how's everyone doing tonight? Keeping warm? Cranking the heat up at home or getting under blankets? One of the two. <laughs> We're going to just jump right in tonight. We're in part two of our 27-week series. No, I'm kidding. Just want to see if you were paying attention. 27-week series on prayer. Um, Last week, we talked about, we're going to just review for a minute, and the title of the whole series is called Prayer Life, because we want to build not just something that we do, we don't want to look at it as this separate entity from who we are, but it's prayer life. It's just supposed to be a part of who we are. So last week, we checked out what prayer is and what it isn't, and the biggest thing that kept coming back to me this week was that it's not our last resort, it's our first defense. And so instead of trying to do everything else first and think, what can we do, what can we do, what can we do, and exhaust all other possibilities first, it's best to just go straight to prayer and ask the Lord, okay, now what? What do we do? So it's not our last resort. It's our first defense. Prayer is a conversation rooted in fellowship and based on trust. And so it's a conversation that means you use your words. It's not something that you think. It's not just something that takes place in your mind. It's an actual, literal conversation rooted in fellowship and based on trust. So that means that the longer that you have the conversation, the longer that you know the Lord, the deeper it's supposed to go. I am not super great at small talk, but I give it a go with the new people. How you doing? Weather's great. Everyone keeping warm? Okay, that's about the extent of my small talk. But the longer I hang out with you, the deeper our conversations are going to go. And my conversations with Dixie aren't quite as deep as my conversations with Pastor Michael. I've known him longer. I have a deeper relationship with him. I trust him more. I'm going to talk to him about different things. So it's a conversation. It gets deeper the farther in God that you go. Uh, Prayer should be as natural to us as breathing. Cover to cover, the word is saturated with prayer from the very first chapter to the very last verse of the Bible. It's saturated in prayer. There's over 500 verses that mention the word pray in some form or fashion, and that doesn't count intercession, thanksgiving, supplication, all the other words that you can use. It is saturated with the subject of prayer. That means God's trying to get something across to us. Prayer releases the power of God into the earth. Last week we ended talking about abiding, and we're going to pick right up where we left off tonight. Prayer is bread and fed in intimacy, and intimacy is found as we abide in him. And we talked about how he should be the first one that we want to go to to share our good news with. He's not just some God up in the throne somewhere. He wants to be our best friend. So he wants to see us as, he wants us to see him as that. So the first one we go to when we're excited about something, the first one we go to when we get hurt about something, the first one we go to when we need advice, or wisdom or counsel. He wants to be the first one. And prayer is relationship driven. And I have uh, taught on prayer before. I've sat under teachings on prayer before. 
excellent teachings on the one, two, three. These are the steps of prayer. But it's not just this work that there's a formula and you push this button and you pull this lever and you press this knob and out comes an answer to prayer. Prayer is relationship driven. And so we're going to continue. Last week we talked about laying a foundation. We're laying a foundation for building our prayer life. And um, the purpose of this series is to lay that foundation for a successful and effectual prayer life. And successful prayer is not measured in goosebumps. It's not measured in whether you come out of your prayer time feeling ooey gooey good, or hey, I got a goosebump, or hey, I feel awesome. I just felt something. You know what? Because we're not supposed to be led by our feelings, are we? God is there whether you feel him or not. So that's not successful prayer. Effectual prayer is not measured in length. Two hours in prayer does not necessarily mean successful prayer. You can have a successful prayer in five seconds, right? I, uh, there's a, a minister, his name's Christopher Alam, and he was teaching one time, and he said, you know, I was praying in the Spirit for two hours one day, and the Holy Ghost said, when are you going to start talking to me? Hello, two hours. <laughs> and he had just been bumping along, routinely praying in the Holy Spirit while he was doing other things, and the Holy Spirit said, you aren't even talking to me yet. So prayer, successful prayer is not measured in the length of the prayer, It's not measured in the volume. How many of you have ever heard the volume prayers? And the longer they go, the louder they get. And Jesus, that's not, you know, loud prayers can be good. And they can have success. (laughs) But you don't have to be loud. That's not how we measure an effectual prayer. A successful prayer is measured in did you get your answer? (laughs) So that's kind of the foundation we're laying here. We want to come out of this series with a passion to pray because we know the one who answers prayer. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what the word says. He didn't just say, I get answers to my prayers. He says, I know whom I believed. And because you know whom is where answers come from. They don't come from a formula. And they come from a person. And it's in getting to know that person that then you have that successful prayer life. And we're going to see that as we go along. So abiding is the foundation of of an effectual, successful prayer life. And I'm just going to relate it to foundations for a minute, just like a foundation of a building. You can't really see it. In a home, you might be able to see what? The first three blocks before that you see the house, but you don't really see the foundation of a building, but it's one of the most important parts because without it, the building's going to crumble. It might not crumble immediately, but if the foundation isn't laid properly, you're going to start seeing cracks in the walls. You're going to start seeing things shift and it's not going to stand strong very long and it's definitely not going to stand in the face of a storm. So the foundation is very important. And there's another thing that's important. There are no shortcuts. If you take a shortcut when you put the foundation in a building, you're asking for trouble. It's not going to stay solid. And there's no shortcuts when it comes to abiding in him. It takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. 
I am 25 plus years into this walking with God thing, this relationship with God that I've had. And I can tell you my relationship is so much more intimate now than it was then. I was abiding then, but it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper as you go, and it makes a difference in your prayer life. And we talked last week that there's more than one kind of prayer. This is just one kind of prayer. It's a foundational level of prayer, the foundational layer of prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about covenant. And it's not always something that comes up in a prayer series, but covenant is very important to understand when you're needing to know that he is going to answer your prayer, that it's based on the fact that he's cut a covenant with you. But we're going to talk tonight about abiding. And I want to read from John 15, verses 1 through 7. And he said, I am the true grapevine. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And as we go along, we're calling this abiding, and it really is coming from this section of Scripture. But this translation uses the word remain. Those two words can be used interchangeably, abiding and remaining. So just wanted to preface that. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. And I want to just stop right here for a second and just go off the beaten path here, because when we were worshiping at the end there, we kind of got into a vein of unction. And I really just heard the words, there's a shaking. And it seemed like somebody's life was being shaken, and they were being shaken, and you just felt like everything was just shaken up. And there's a shaking, and I just really saw him like a tree. You know, the Bible says that we're like a tree planted by a river. will bear fruit in season. Like a tree being shaken. And what's the first thing that comes off a tree when the wind shakes it? The leaves and the dead stuff. The bad fruit, the rotten fruit has fallen off. So if you're in a position where you're being shaken, please first understand that your roots go deep enough that he's not going to let you fall. But it's okay to let some of that stuff shake off. Shake off those dead weights. Shake off that rotten fruit and let those roots grow deeper in him. Amen? So he's, he prunes us so that we bear fruit so that we will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. You can do nothing. How many of us try to do stuff? All right, we'll just move on. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Isn't that good news? But what's the condition there? If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. You can ask anything that you want. Anything that you want. It doesn't say anything that he wants. It says anything that you want. Why? Because when you're abiding in him, what you want and what he wants are ultimately the same thing. So we're going to look at all of this tonight. But I want to read this real quick in the Amplified Version. And I want you to just listen. I don't have it in the PowerPoint. There's just a couple phrases I want to pick out of here to, to bring it home. In verse 4, it says, Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. Live in me, and I will live in you, just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in, being vitally united to the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me, and I in him, bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. If a person does not dwell in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and withers. If you live in me, if you abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts, you can ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Now, I like the phrase, vitally united to the vine. Now, a few years ago, I went to school for medical transcription, and we had to study every system in the body. I had to learn all the Greek words, all the Latin words, all the meanings of the words, all the different ways to use the words, <laughs> any possible meaning of the word. But there was a difference between things that were vital and things that could go. Your spleen is not a vital organ. You can live without your spleen. Your heart, however, <laughs> it's a vital organ. You need that. A vital organ is something that you need to live. Your brain is a vital organ. <laughs> your kidney can do without, right? A finger, you can do without. It's not comfortable. You have to make adjustments. A leg, you can do without. A heart, mm -mm. a stomach, you need it. These are vital organs. And so when he's talking about abiding in him, vitally united to the branch, he's, or to the vine, he's trying to get a picture across to us that we need this for survival. For survival. It's not just, eh, if you want to. It's a good idea if you do this, but if not, you'll still be okay. And I recently read an article, and it just, the article was okay, the little article about the church, how some long-term members are, they're finding them falling away from the church. They're not coming to church anymore because they're just fed up with church and the system of church. And I went down past the blog, and I was reading through the comments of what they called the Duns, we're done with church. And they weren't just done with church. They were done with God. And these were people that had been in the church 25, 35, 40 years, and they were done with God. And it broke my heart because I thought, if they had lived vitally united to the vine all of this time, <laughs> what happened in church or didn't happen in church is not going to affect this because I'm vitally united to him. 
The church is made up of imperfect people. We're not perfect. We strive. Well, Pastor Michael might be. <laughs> He's going to debate that. Okay, I wasn't going to, but I'm going to tell a story on Pastor Michael. <laughs> and it's all Miriam's fault. <laughs> You know, Pastor Michael used to crawl in the crib with Alex. I just had to say it. How cute is that? She was talking about the crib and the grandpa crawling in the crib. He would crawl, he would crawl in the crib with Alex, and I thought, you're going to break it. You're going to break it. So anyway, we're not perfect as much as we strive for holiness, as much as we strive to be Christ-like. We're going to miss it, Right? But what happens here, if you're vitally united here, you might be done with a building, but you're not going to be done with him. Right? So if they had been abiding all of those years, they would have been in a different place. It's important that we get a hold of this abiding and what this looks like. So I looked up synonyms of the word abiding and it means steadfast, enduring, lifelong, remaining, perpetual, constant, permanent, unending. And the Webster's definition, which actually is the same as the uh, Vines biblical dictionary of the blah, blah, words, remains stable and in a fixed state, unmoving. It means we don't move away from him. We don't hook and unhook and hook and unhook and do aerobics in the presence of God. We're in, we're out, we're up or down. No, it's we're remaining steadfast, permanent, fixed, unmoving, unchanging. We're there. And my definition of the word abiding is home. I consider it home to me. My home is the place where my treasures are. Not just things, my kids are there. I am not what you would call a good decorator. <laughs> I decorate with pictures of my kids. My walls are plastered with them. My refrigerator is covered with them. They're my treasures. My treasures are in my home. It's where I go, it's where I like to hang out. You have to make me leave my house. <laughs> to leave my, I work at home, I'm comfortable, at, and I just got a great new chair that I sit in that's comfortable in my home. I like to be at home. It's where I like to hang out. It's where I go to rest if I need refreshed. I don't go to your house. I don't go to your house. I go to my home. It's my constant and continuing safe place. And that's when I think of abiding in him, that's what I think of. He's my constant and continuing safe place. So Jesus is our example in all things prayer. And so Jesus is our example in abiding. In John 5, 19, it says, So Jesus explained... I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only when he sees the Father doing, and whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And he's saying, I 
can't do anything by myself. It's because I'm in him and he's in me. This is the only way that this works. John 14.10 says, and this was when, the, when I think it was Philip that said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, I've been with you all this time and you're saying, show us the Father. He said, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Does it sound the same? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And in John 14, he says, listen, I got to leave for a while. I've been hanging out with you guys for some time. It's been great. It's been fun. We've had some good times. But it's time for me to go. And his disciples were very, very sad. Like, no, don't leave. <laughs> so he just kind of dumped some bad news on him. But then he said, but I'm going to show you what I did. You want to know how I did it? This is how I did it. And because I did it this way, this is how you need to do it. I was in the Father, and the Father was in me. Like a vine to a branch. And that's the picture that he's given He's saying the same level of intimacy that you saw me, and they saw him. They lived with him. The same level of intimacy that you saw me having with the Father is the same level of intimacy that I am going to have with you. Abiding. And this is how you do it. You abide in me, and I abide in you like a, a vine and a branch are connected. This is the picture that he's trying to get across to us. And I'm going to tell you what, if Jesus had to do it, who are we to think that it's optional? Jesus, the creator, he was there when everything was created. It was by him that everything was created and for him that everything exists. The one who always has been, the one who always will be, the one who walked among us, the word made flesh. This was how he did it. It wasn't optional. If he hadn't been the father in me and me in the father, none of this would have happened. Abiding is the foundation of a successful, not just prayer life, but Christian life. We want to do the works that he did? We got to do what he did. A lot of people want the blessing. They want the benefit, but they don't want the intimacy. They don't want the time, the effort, the work that goes into the intimacy. The seven sons of Sceva are a huge example of this. In the book of Acts where it said, um, it talked about them going, in the name of Jesus, trying to cast out the evil spirits. And one time they tried to do that, and they were sons of a priest. So it's not like they weren't in the godly line here. Sons of a priest. In Jesus' name, you come out. And it says they were doing, imitating what they had seen others do. And the evil spirit turned around and said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but I have no idea who you are. And they beat him up. 
because they were trying to do something, imitate something without the intimacy. You cannot imitate intimacy. You can't do it. And I don't know why you would want to because it's so sweet. So if Jesus had to do it, we have to do it. It's not optional. And this is the picture that he's giving us, a vine with a branch. And I was, I guess the trees will work as an example, (laughs) even though these technically come apart. But in real life, the branch and and the trunk, thank you, whoever helped me, the branch and the trunk are connected. And, fr- and the, the roots come down through the, through the trunk, right? The roots are attached to the trunk. They pull all the nutrients up from the river, the ground. They pull the water and the nutrients up from the soil through the trunk out to the branches. And the branch gets its life. It gets its nourishment. It gets its strength from the trunk, which is getting it from the river. And who is the river? It comes from his throne, right? The only way that a branch can bear fruit is if it's connected to the trunk, if it's connected to the vine. The only way that a branch is going to grow leaves if it's attached to the source of nutrition. If And when our kids were little, how old was Alex when he and Ian whipped the branches off and used them as swords? Yeah, it was lovely. We just planted these beautiful little pear trees. (laughs) Just planted our pretty little pear tree. And my nephew and my son ripped the branches off and started using them as swords. (laughs) But guess what never grew on those two particular branches again? Anything. There were no leaves, there were no flowers, and they never grew back. On the trunk, they were just these empty little places on the tree. But if you want to bear fruit, prayer, fruit, you have to stay connected to the, to the vine. You have to stay connected to the trunk. It is vital. When a branch is disconnected, it's when it becomes weak. Have you ever felt weak? It becomes dry. Anyone ever say, I feel so dry? It becomes brittle. It dies, it bears no fruit. And this is the picture that Jesus is giving his disciples of abiding. Why it's so important to abide in him. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything and it will be given to you. Confident, effectual, answered prayer is a byproduct of abiding. You cannot abide without getting answers. And you cannot get answers without abiding. It's right there in John 15, 7. So I want to take just a minute or two and talk about the ideal versus the real. Because sometimes we get unrealistic expectations of what things look like. So, the ideal versus the real. Sometimes we get this built up into our mind that every day I'm going to have visions and I'm going to have goosebumps and I'm going to hear an audible voice from God and it's going to be this grand mountaintop experience. 
And by mountaintop, I'm talking about like the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his best friends, up the mountain, and um, was it Elijah and Moses appeared to them, and Jesus glistened and turned white, and Peter said, let's just build three tents and stay. This is a good place. The mountaintop is a good place. And we get this ideal built up in our head that every day is going to be the amount of transfiguration time in the presence of God. And if it's not that I've somehow failed or I'm not strengthened or he's not there, how many times, how many times was Jesus transfigured? And how old was he? So he abided in the vine for 33 and a half years and one time had a mountaintop experience. Let's bring it back down to reality, shall we? We get these expectations built up in our head, and it's not this big woo-woo thing. It's a day after day, feeling or no feeling, habitual relationship with the person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I want to read this real quick. out of Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. And he's talking about 2 Peter 1.5 here. You know, add to your faith patience and add to your patience virtue. And it says, in the matter of drudgery, Peter said in this passage that we have become partakers of the divine nature and that we should now be giving all diligence, concentrating on forming godly habits. We are to add to our lives all that character means. No one is born, either naturally or supernaturally, with character. It must be developed. Nor are we born with habits. We have to form godly habits on the basis of the new life God has placed within us. We are not meant to be seen as God's perfect, bright, shining examples, but to be seen as the everyday essence of ordinary life exhibiting the miracle of his grace. Let that sink in for a minute. Drudgery is the test of genuine character. The greatest hindrance in our spiritual life is that we will only look for the big things. Yet Jesus took a towel and began to wash the disciples' feet. We all have those times when there are no flashes of light and no apparent thrill to life, where we experience nothing but the daily routine with its common everyday tasks. The routine of life is actually God's way of saving us between our times of great inspiration which come from him. Don't always expect God to give you his thrilling moments but learn to live in those common times of the drudgery of life by the power of God. And so we get these things built up in our head. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. It's got to be flashing and lightning and thunder and earthquakes and wind. And those happen occasionally. But to feel like you failed or not come into contact with the presence and the power of God because you didn't feel something, that's just looking to be entertained. It's deeper than that. It's a relationship. 
Are you with me? Abiding is a day after day after day in his presence and in his word. And there's some people that prefer one over the other. I'll spend two hours in worship and five minutes in the word. (laughs) Or I'll spend two hours in the word and, oh, yeah, I should probably (laughs) say something here. If you have the word without the spirit, you're going to dry up. If you have the spirit without the word, you're going to blow up. (laughs) When you put them both together, you live a nice, balanced Christian life, amen? (laughs) Isn't that where we want to be? That's where Jesus was. I tell you, his meetings didn't have 10 hours of praise and worship before he got to the word. The anointing rested on his words. And I think so many times we look forward to corporate worship, and we should. It is refreshing. There's anointing on corporate worship you just don't get at home. But then we just turn, we relax. Worship's over, nothing's going to happen now. You know, you can have unction during the announcements, and you can have anointing on the word, and there can be a move of spirit at the end. Put God in this box. This is what it has to look like. God doesn't fit in our box. He wants us to get out of our box. And when we're abiding in him, then our expectation is on him. To say, to do, to speak, to move whenever he chooses. And I think there's something interesting. I think that it's, I was going to give a couple examples from my life, but let's just say it makes a difference. No, all right, real quick. When Allie was two, three, she started having seizures. How old? Little, real little. Still in diapers, little. So maybe, well, no, probably two, two and a half. Starting to having seizures, penny mall seizures, occasionally, once maybe every three or four months, and then they got more frequent, and then they turned to grandma, and then they were scary. If you've never seen your little baby girl fall down the stairs and turn blue, you don't know what scary is. So we took her, happened at church one day, took her to the hospital, happened again at home like within days, took her to the children's hospital, to the neurologist. She had to go on seizure medication. I... I'm here to tell you that fear gripped me faster than you can snap your finger. And I knew him as my healer. I had laid hands on people and watched them get healed. But fear. And I'm going to be very honest and say it took two years for that fear to completely subside as I abided in my healer, Rafa, the healing scriptures, the healing music, and whatever it took, 24-7, I had music going in my house. My father-in-law turned it off one time. I went, don't do that. I need that. It's setting an atmosphere in my house, and I'm not going back to that desperate place of fear. Fear. After two years, the fear left. We 
uh, got to walk her off the medicine. The doctor said she'll be on a low dose her whole life, which is completely off it, seizure-free, praise God. While she was stepping down off the medicine, I was getting ready for work one morning, and I heard a blood-curdling scream come from her room at like 6.30 in the morning. Michael's still sleeping, I think. He was still in bed. I, was, I left for work a lot earlier than he did. And um, so I go to her room, and she's walking out, like shaking, crying. She drops a yellow jacket, stung her on her shoulder, grabbed it, stung her in her hand, dropped it. I'm like, oh, we don't even have Benadryl. So I'm like, well, I heard something about baking soda and water. It takes the sting out, so I'm trying to be a good mom and mix it. So I put her in bed with Michael, go to mix the stuff up. He brings her to the kitchen, and her face, her lips, swollen, like anaphylactic reaction. So off to the emergency room we go. But I want to tell you, there was no fear. Not one shred of fear. And the very first thought that popped in my mind was, he could heal her of seizures. He can certainly heal her of a bee allergy and keep her throat open and keep her healthy and whole. What was the difference? I had spent two years abiding in my healer. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And I find it very interesting that there are no step-by-step examples or pictures or snapshots in the Bible of exactly what Jesus did when he abided in his Father. Because it's a personal thing. It's between you and God. Just like my marriage, my relationship with Michael is different than your relationship with Marilyn. It's different than your relationship. Your intimacy looks different than ours. My love language is different than his. It just looks different. My relationship with my kids looks different than yours. Our conversations are different. The way we do our routines are different because it's personality-based. It's family-based. It's personal. And so there's no pictures of what that looks like in the Word. What, do you put music on or no music? Do you stand? Do you kneel? Do you walk? Do you sit? Do you use the Word? Do you use a devotional? Do you sing? Do you sing? Do you pray in tongues? Do you pray in English? What do you do? What does this look like for you? And I could tell you what it looks like for me, but it's not going to look the same for you because your personality is completely different. I might kneel a lot and you might never, and that's okay. And we're going to look when we get into talking on praise and worship and the different kinds of prayer, there's all kinds of expressions that you can do through your body. And you know what? The word never says close your eyes. (laughs) I said that last week. We We immediately close our eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. The word never in there is that any sign of honor. But if it helps you focus, do it. I rarely close my eyes when I pray, unless I'm trying to really block something out. <laughs> my chil- No, not my children. <laughs> but it's personal. My relationship with God is going to look different than yours. The way I walk with him is going to look different than the way that Wendy does. It's going to look different than the way that Miriam does, because we're different. He wants our personality involved in it. 
He doesn't want you being a copycat of somebody. So don't try to be somebody else. Be you. Don't compare your walk with God with anyone else's. Be comfortable being you. If you're quiet, you're quiet. If you're loud, you're loud. If you're a walker, you're a walker. If you have to have music on, put it on. It distracts me. I only put it on if I'm not doing something else because it's distracting when I'm trying to hear. But some people can hear real well with music on. Be you. Does that make sense? It's unique to you. Your abiding is unique to you. Amen? Well, we have time left (laughs) for prayer. Isn't that awesome? Who's scared? (laughs) Anyone get a minute? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. All right, well, I said I don't like music on, but we are going to put music on. (laughs) So I don't know if you want to play. You know, one of the ways that you can abide, and it's not just 10 minutes in the morning. This is an all-day-long thing. You don't disconnect from the vine after your half hour in the morning and then connect back in later and then disconnect to go do your thing and then connect back in later. I talk to him all day long. I talk to him probably more over the kitchen sink than I do with my Bible in the morning. I probably talk to him more than the car than anywhere else because I wait for my kids a lot. Because <laughs> that track coach, you know, he says 5 o'clock, but he really means 5.30. Pet peeve. <laughs> but we're going to take just a minute and just abide in him. If you want to get your Bible out and read it, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, how do you get the word to abide in you? You got to put it in. So if you want to get your word out, look at a scripture. If you want to meditate on a scripture, if you want to talk to him, if you want to walk around, if you want to lay prostrate, if you want to kneel, this is between you and him right now, okay?
How many of you, that was uncomfortable for you? Anybody? It's okay to say it was. I used to feel really awkward. <laughs> but as you get to know someone, and as you get to know him, it changes. And I remember days when I would take his word to him and say, okay, you said this. I've never seen it in my life, but I've heard someone else talk about it back in the day when it was real new and fresh for me. I heard someone else talk about this and I want it. And now I look and think, oh, I remember when you did this for me. I remember when you said this to me. I remember when you got me through this or helped me through that. Don't give up on it because it feels awkward or different. Or you don't know quite what to do. It's just a relationship. Just talking to him. And it's that foundation. And we're going to get into prayer times at the end of these Wednesday night services that are we're praying out. And we all know what to do then. We all know we hook in, we pray the word, we say this, we do that. This is a little different for some. But keep pressing into it because your intimacy level with him is going to skyrocket. You're going to go, oh, that's what everybody was talking about. Yeah, I get it now. Abiding is the foundation of a successful, effectual, getting answers to prayer, prayer life. Isn't that what we all want? <laughs> you ready to pray and ask God and have him answer? Amen. Father, we just thank you that you are here. You were here with us tonight. You live in us. You're walking out the door with us. You're going home with us. When we lay down tonight, you're going to lay down with us. And we get up in the morning, you're going to get up with us. And I pray for a fresh revelation of abiding in your presence. Father, as we go through this week, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears to see you, to hear you more clearly stir a hunger and a passion and a desire in our hearts to abide in you. I just want to close with this scripture. Hmm. Let me find it real quick. Because it, yeah, there it is. It's just such a good picture of what it means to have that spirit of abiding. Psalm 42 says, My soul is dry and thirsts for you, true God. 
as a deer thirsts for water. I long for the true God who lives. When can I go and be with God? And that's really all that abiding in Him is. It's that hunger, that desire, that passion. I want more of you. When can I come and meet with you? Always looking for that next little opportunity to be aware of Him. It's not that He isn't always in us. And like we say, come Holy Spirit. You know, He's here in us, but He's not manifested out among us always. You know, when they were in the upper room praying, in the book of Acts, they would pray, but not always did the room shake. He was always there, but he was not always manifested among. Does that make sense? So being aware of him, being aware of his presence, searching, looking, longing for that next time you get to be with him, that's abiding in the vine. Amen? Well, you guys are dismissed. Have a great night, great week. We'll see you back here on Sunday. Anything else I need to remind anybody of? Andre Van Zyl. Oh, River Night. Andre's kicking off River Night. Not going to want to miss that one. And he's going to be here Sunday morning, and I think 6 o'clock Sunday night. Life-changing ministry. You don't want to miss it. Amen?